when you talk about intelligent assistance, it's it's I look at it in twofold. It's um, more of a concierge and a butler type model, right? The concierge of where I want to find information, but it needs to be relevant in the moment and the, and the right information. And also the butler, where it's actually looking out for you, you know, some, some level of intelligence within the assistant that actually understands who you are, um, your, your behavioral patterns, the things you do, and is bringing information to you proactively. So you look at it more of a proactive assistance model as well as a behavioral pattern. At the, at the end of the day, uh, what uh, was driving it was uh, really the desire for organizations to be able to enable their staff to be able to be productive in the best and highest possible purpose. Hi, I'm Paul Miller and this is Digital Workplace Impact where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices and people that are impacting the new digital worlds where we all work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership, benchmarking and boutique consulting services. And if you'd like more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. So today's conversation is with Brett Cauldron, uh, who's the CEO of WorkGrid, and Kevin Alp from Northwestern Mutual. And it's about the topic of intelligent digital workplace assistance. Um, It's based on a report that DWG wrote called The Intelligent Digital Workplace Assistant, an Introduction for Digital Workplace Teams. And you can find that by putting Digital Workplace Group, Intelligent Assistant, into our website or go to digitalworkplacegroup.com. And it was a really interesting conversation. It was nice to spend some time thinking about the future because we recorded it in the midst of COVID-19. And it's nice to think about things after COVID-19. And to kind of think about where all this going and also what this might mean for what I'll call rapid response remote working or working from home. And and wouldn't it be great if we'd had the ability right now to have ever richer experiences of remote working than the ones that we've already got, ones that are more akin to physical physicality of work. Anyway, just a, a thought. Now for the episode. I'm delighted to be joined today by... Brett Cauldron. Um, Brett is the CEO of WorkGrid Software, a technology startup um, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Liberty Mutual Insurance. He's responsible for a whole range of products around optimizing digital um, workplace and employee digital experience. And prior to WorkGrid, Brett was the senior director of software innovation and application delivery at Liberty Mutual. And he joined that organization in 2001. And it's a really interesting story, WorkGrid, because it's uh, in a way that the the company invented something and then commercialized it as a business. And we'll hear a little bit about that. Um, And I'm also delighted to be joined by Kevin Alp. Uh, Kevin, for 19 years, was the director of creative solutions and corporate initiatives at Northwestern Mutual. Um, and is now involved uh, with DWG as one of our uh, consultants and researchers. And it's fantastic to have both of you on the show today. Happy to be here, Paul. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Good to be with you. Yeah. So what we're talking about is the intelligent digital workplace um, and the intelligent digital workplace assistant report. Um, For those not familiar with the term, 
Um, Brett, what is an intelligent assistant? Yeah, I mean, it's it's and there's it's a broad definition, if you will. I mean, at the heart of it, though, it really is about um, leveraging the technologies in the digital workplace, but it has to be coupled with really strong um, coupling with data, if you will, um, and being able to leverage that data for insights and context and personalization um, and be able to bring that on to sort of a unified experience. But the, the assistant aspect of it, right, is, is, is more about the insights that I said you can get from the data that you're bringing uh, really moment of truth to the, to the employees, if you will. So when you talk about intelligent assistance, it's, it's, I look at it as in twofold. It's um, more of a concierge and a Butler type model, right? The concierge of where I want to find information, but it needs to be relevant in the moment and the, and the right information. And also the Butler where it's actually looking out for you, you know, some, some level of intelligence within the assistant that actually understands who you are, um, your, your behavioral patterns, the things you do, and is bringing information to you proactively. So you look at it more of a proactive assistance model as well as a behavioral pattern. And could you give me an example that for people who aren't familiar with the term sort of conveys what um, an intelligent assistant is? Yeah, so an example would be, um, let's look at it in the terms of, of proactive assistance, right? So companies have a lot of data about their employees and, um, and certainly historical data, even about, say, employees that might be like them. So one example would be, say, just as simple as job recommendation. So where you've seen patterns in the past of where people in your in your say your job role and their career progression, you can map that against the, the successful patterns where you might be saying, um, here's a job recommendation that fits you know your next career progression based on not only your history and your skills and those type of things, but also leveraging the larger data you have about the, the larger employee population that might say this is a job fit based on people who have similar career paths. And that's just you know, one example of, of, of a use case where you're talking about leveraging data in an intelligent manner to provide assistance or recommendations to, to an employee. Great. And um, Kevin, I mean, why did intelligent assistance get invented? You know, what was the sort of um, spur for this? Well, I think at the, at the end of the day, uh, what uh, was driving it was uh, really the desire for organizations to be able to enable their staff to be able to be productive in the best and highest possible purpose. Uh, so in a lot of organizations, you see digital assistants coming in uh, to do the kinds of tasks, the kinds of administrative tasks that, uh, that uh, everyone has to do, whether it be filling out a, uh, an expense report and the amount of time that that takes or scheduling vacation or onboarding when you're first coming on board it involves a lot of administrative tasks. And if we can automate those tasks, it frees people up to be able to do those higher level things that they're capable of. Okay. So, um, no, that's that's really good. And, and in, in your time when you were at Northwestern Mutual, um, would you have found that um, useful to have? Well, it, when we were at Northwest, when I was at Northwestern Mutual, uh, the the the, p the p place for that we were at at that particular time really was a time of incredible growth and and a lot of change within the organization. Um, and so, uh, when when you have change, uh, it challenges people to think at those higher levels. Uh, but yet we were still tasked with all of the administrative things that, that drove us there. And so, yeah, it would have been hugely advantageous. Um, and, of course, it's been 
about four or five years since I've been there. Uh, and, uh, and certainly they've come a long way since I've been there. Yeah. And, and what's the story of how um, WorkGrid um, got into this field? Because it's, it's, a, it's a pretty sort of unusual story, Brett, isn't it? It is, but I don't think it's really, you know, how we got into it, Bob, wasn't any different than uh, the challenges that all enterprises were facing. Um, certainly, as you saw, the progression out of, you know, the, the technologies changing out of sort of the early inter internet days and productivity tools in the enterprise, as we got into large ERPs and then, then um, you know, we started to see the cloud progression. So mobile, cloud apps, big data became a thing. Um, you know, the, the struggles we were having was really about the complexity of the digital landscape in the enterprise. And like Kevin said, how kind of difficult it was for to do nominal tasks even. But not only that, when you, you know, when you're talking about employees interacting with upwards of 30 systems a day just to get their job done, the institutional knowledge of understanding each of those systems just to do pointed things became a, a frustrating and real a complex thing for an employee to navigate. And then you layer on top of that, um, you know, a lot of the business processes that cross those systems, um, that, you know, there are multiple system processes where you're jumping in and out added to that complexity. So we were really trying to solve that for our employees on the journey. And, um, you know, we just, we just did it a different way. You know, this was back towards, I think around 2013 when we started this journey and it was really about thinking about it differently. Um, you know, go, looking at it really from the employee up and not having, you know, a lot of these systems that were bought in the enterprise were real top-down decision-making and siloed, if you will, because each, each, division of the company is buying the right software for the right reason, but it's in the purview of that one silo. When you layer that onto the employee at the horizontal, um, it became difficult. So we're really trying to simplify, like like Kevin said, and it's a productivity thing, make things easier and unify and, and abstract away that complexity and bring it into a unified experience, which drove a lot of that personalization and real, real ease, ease of use aspect that they expected kind of in their consumer life is what they were getting. You know, sorry, so we're really intent on um, Finding you know ways to increase our productivity, having having be you know productive and not busy, and take away a lot of the noise that allows them to focus on really you know the, the core job that they were hired for. And WorkRid, you know, um, the evolution of it was because you know as part, being a member of DWG at the time, you know, we were socializing this concept and sharing it with other companies, and it was readily evident, just much like Kevin said in the Northwestern piece, that people wanted this, people people needed this capability. What was fun about working with Brett in these in this paper was that uh, they really approached it from a, a really intuitive angle. Uh, one of the things with the digital workplace is, as Brett said, basically we we're increasing the number of digital tools that are available. And in many cases, in a lot of organizations, they're being implemented individually as new tools. And what where Brett really I saw integrated his digital assistant in this space was really as a tool that helps people to be able to navigate it in a way that is makes sense and is logical and helps them to be productive in using all of these new tools. It's kind of in the digital workplace, the digital assistant is that space in between, that interface between the user and all of the great, great tools that we're rolling out. So, Kevin, what I'm just wondering is, um, where does an organization, how does an organization decide where to apply an intelligent assistant? I'm thinking of, you know, sort of complex organization, take somebody like Unilever, they've got manufacturing, they've got distribution, they've got marketing, they've got sales, they've got, you know, it's, it's a full and complex pro, uh, organization. Where do they begin? 
Well, if uh, within the paper, as as you take a look at it, we really talk about four things for digital workplace teams to be doing right now. Uh, and you know, the first one is is judge your own familiarity with the area uh, and get familiar with the terms. Know the distance difference between uh, a chat bot and an, an intelligent dig digital assistant. Um, and then we advise them start small. You know, find those find those places where you can have quick wins. Find the low hanging fruit. For some organizations, it might be uh, that ability to be able to make the expense report submission process easy. Um, and by finding those small quick wins and being able to demonstrate it, what you'll find is you'll build demand within your organization that will bring with it the funding and the and the and the senior management support you need to be able to go further. Um, and then uh, I think this was actually a, uh, a suggestion that came from Brett is keeping your eyes on the horizon. Look ahead, see what's coming um, so that you can be ahead of the game as, as you go instead of behind it. Brett, uh, anything that you would add to that? No, I'll echo that. I mean, the starting small thing is the key. Um, and it's really about time to value and the impact it has. I can speak from, you know, Liberty Mutual's perspective, just rolling out aggregated approvals across the enterprise where now you've got approvals from 20 systems coming into one place, one click experience um, was impactful enough to sort of gain momentum. But you're right though, the, the key is to future proof it as well. Um, you know, when you talk about your digital workplace as relates to intelligent digital assistance, when you start small, you know, you know the platform you want to be on needs to be like I said, future-proofed and extensible. So it's it's always going to be a journey. So you're, you're, you're going to see the evolution of it naturally as you roll out these um, pointed digital assistant capabilities, whether it be the approvals or like said, making an expense report easier. Um, you're going to find that more and more feedback you get from the employees is just going to extend um, what you're able to continuously deliver on that platform. And you'll even see it progress right down to the, to the lines of business. We've seen customers out there who are implementing digital assistance, um, not necessarily at the aggregate employee level, but they're bringing all their sales and marketing capabilities together to enable that line of business in, in, in a similar fashion with the same concept. Um, so it is pretty broad-based and, again, starting small and building momentum, but you do have to have that mindset of it is a continuous delivery model, and you're always going to be extending the capabilities. Mm. And, and, Brett, how hard is it to develop a, an intelligent assistant? I'm trying to get my head around... Is, is this a, a two-week project? Is it a six-month project? What's in, you know, it's like, okay, so I'm, I'm in an organization. I, I, I feel like there's a whole bunch of things where, you know, this would really have a role. What, 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 what's next? Well, I think, you know, if you step it back to a platform level, it is very complex. And, um, you know, and it, is, it is a very difficult thing to implement if you're going to sort of ground up and, and build it together. I mean, there, again, if, if you're starting with a platform that's already built, um, it becomes much easier. And then you're really just leveraging the capabilities that are innate to there, whether it be the chatbot that's there, the ability for the API integrations and those type of things. Um, and then your time to value is actually fairly quick. And it just comes down to identifying you know, in that manner of what are the use cases that are impactful and implementing them. So I would say, you know, that the complexity at the system level, you know, from a technology perspective, very complex, very hard to sort of build um, and, and, and roll out. But if, if you start with a platform that is already accessible, you're really just hitting the ground running. Okay. And and Kevin, how do you work out the, the business case? What's the, 
um, how do you know that the investment that an organization is going to make in an intelligent assistant is going to be worthwhile? You know, our, our projects at Digital Workplace are, are always somewhat challenging on ROI. And this one's no different, but there is uh, a space here where it makes it just a little bit easier. And that is that uh, it, depending on, you can really tie it to uh, the problem you're trying to solve. And so in the case of of uh, the folks over at Liberty Mutual and the work that Brett did with WorkGrid, uh, I'm thinking, Brett, a lot of it was productivity-based, right? It was productivity, but there's real bottom line value as well. I mean, we saw some really great impl implementations as it relates to help desks and the interactions that you might have there, where um, rather than picking up a phone and having a call center person on one side of the line, you on the other, waiting 20 minutes in a queue, um, solving for that, um, leveraging the data that you already had as, as an as a company that they typically ask you, you know, what's your name, what's your PIN number, what's your problem, what office you're in, all that data was kind of already there. So bringing that data together into a, like a chatbot type conversation that allows you to create that help desk ticket while calling somebody and then interacting with your communication tools where they'll call you back, whether it be via Skype or your phone, your choice on your time. So you're, you're not, you're not sa you're saving sort of all of that time on call. We've saw a, a really lot, a lot of, of, um, value and reduction in sort of call volumes because of that, as well as the time on call and the amount of people you need to service the, the enterprise in the call center. So there's there's things that come out of it that, you know, productivity is, is a major one because, you know, every time you save two minutes for an employee, that's two minutes. Um, I think you run into that wall when you talk to enterprises of what is that, how do you repurpose that productivity and how do you show the value there? And that gets a little harder to do, but the productivity gains are there. And again, also offset by there really is um, bottom line savings that can be had as you reduce sort of uh, the need for staffing and things like that and let them focus on more high, high value work. That's a great example, Brett. And uh, I'll add another one. Uh, and again, it's it's tied to what the business need was. Uh, the General Services Administration of the U.S. government is another example. Uh, and, and they have a chatbot that they put into place that they've named Mrs. Landingham. Uh, she's an AI-powered chatbot uh, that essentially walks new employees through the onboarding process. So in this case, it feels the interaction feels like you're chatting with a person, but that person is actually artificial intelligence that is really walking you down a path. It knows, it knows you, it knows what area of the company that you're in, or in this case of the, of the, of the government, of the, of the GSA for the US government. Um, and what she does is she walks you through the things that you should be thinking of next as you go through that anticipation. Um, and in this case, uh, if you look at what the, what the ROI measurement would be, it would be time to productivity for that employee. So again, it's less about the ROI for the chatbot tool itself and more about the ROI of what the business outcome it is that it's going to deliver, just like everything we do, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think engagement that aspect, and that's a great example where that engagement aspect of it is really important to employees, certainly as they onboard and build their first experiences with the company. Um, and we've seen that. We've seen in the digital system in a different way, uh, not necessarily from the chatbot aspect of it. We've also seen it as more of just a workflow piece. Now, if you look at the steps it takes from the time I get an offer as an employee till you know my day 30, day 60 at the company, where I've you know assimilated and all the steps that need to happen to get, like you said, to be a productive employee 
as soon as possible. Um, all, there's incremental things that happen daily, and, and some are dependent on each other. So in the digital assistant aspect, we've seen implementations where it's built based upon the workflow, and those tasks that you need to do are coming in in context of sort of the day they need to be done or ahead of time when you need to prepare. Um, but you're not, you're not deluged with 600 tasks that might take to complete the whole onboarding process. It's more incremental in coming at you in context. So in that, and that does, uh, does wonderful things for the engagement of an employee. And um, Kevin, what's what's the um, importance of what I'll call personality in in an intelligent assistant? Because you mentioned Mrs. Langingham, Landingham, I think it was. And um, you know, clearly, you know, it's not just intelligent assistant A. It's 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 got a personality. What's the what's the value of that? Well, I, I think the the value of it is is goes back to that idea of of uh, it, it being able to anticipate what your needs are. Uh, and and when, you're, when you're interacting with something that feels like another person, at least to a certain extent, um, what it does is it normalizes that interaction. It makes it more comfortable for the user on the user side in order to be able to relate to uh, what they're doing. Um, we, all, we all are used to asking uh, questions of the people around us and getting answers. Um, and if you think of, of Siri and Alexa and some of the other things that we experience in our, our home life, one of the reasons that they have been adopted so quickly is because it feels just like a normal conversation. It feels just like what we do on a daily basis, whether it be via, via voice or via text. And so really, if you look at what I think the importance is within our process of, of digital workplace, it's in helping adoption move quicker and be easier for the users, in my opinion. Yeah. And um, Kevin, just you, I mean, you mentioned the, the report, the Intelligent Assistant Report, um, which can be found on the DWG website. What, just, just give me a kind of snapshot. What, what are the key elements of, of the report you wrote? Well, the report was really intended as a as a as an introduction and primer for digital workplace teams, and it built upon the definition that Brett gave earlier uh, of a of a digital workplace, and, and really broke it down into four things. Um, a I'm sorry, a digital assistant, uh, and that is that a digital assistant uh, a speaks your language, b is connected to key systems and data, so that it can have context. And then C delivers that knowledge in context. And then D and last, it has the ability to anticipate your needs. And that's kind of that next level that I think Brett and his team are, are exploring and are, are experiencing success in right now. And it's got examples uh, from companies uh, from Wipro, from Cisco, from Allstate, uh, and from Liberty Mutual uh, that illustrate each of those points. Mm, that's great, and thank thanks for that. And um, you know, as we as we all know, we're we're recording this um, while we're in the midst of the COVID nineteen virus. Um, so, you know, you find out which things are kind of really useful when when crisis hits. So, um, Brett, have intelligent assistants, so far as you've been seeing, been playing um, any role in the current remote? kind of mostly homeworking um, surge that we've been we're in the middle of 
Yeah, I think they have, but I think they play it in, in more of just another channel um, for information in this case. Um, of course, you know, in these circumstances, everybody's sort of looking for uh, honest information, right, about, and, and that's either at the, you know, the level of even the world, but right down to, to the company aspect um, and how companies are handling handling this um, from a leadership perspective and the policies they're putting in place. Um, so FAQs become really important and how you get that information, what employees are reaching out to find out about. Um, and, and these technologies, being that interactive piece where you can ask questions and get answers, um, much like Kevin was saying, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a channel for, for interacting with that's, that's comfortable. Um, by putting the sort of that information readily available in those channels, um, there's a lot of value there, much like you, you would for a lot of the other information in the enterprise. Um, so you kind of look at it as it, it, it's, it's an enabler in, in these times to, you know, to, as a channel for, for leadership in an organization to communicate as well to their employees. Hmm. That's, that's, that's interesting. And um, yeah, I mean, I've certainly kind of been talking to different organizations seen, um, I suppose organizations adapting probably better than we might have expected, but also having quite a diluted set of services often to ones that they would have been experiencing when they weren't remote home working, if that's not their kind of normal mode. And obviously, you know, I suppose it's going to be an interesting um, case to kind of reflect reflect back on afterwards um, to see, well, which things which things kind of came into their own, which which things weren't. Um, but I, I think it, so, it sounds like this this sort of uh, route into news and information, reliable information, I think is an interesting one. Um, so uh, just a question for each of you um, before we, we close. So we're, we're really talking about the technology that's happening sort of at the moment. But where could or, or, or will this technolo- technology go in the next um, five or more years? What's, what's your picture of that, Brett? Um, well, I think, Paul, where it's going to go is going to become more and more dependent on the data aspect of it. Um, you're already seeing um, you know, the job demands for things like data scientists and data engineering. Um, I think the strength on the power of a digital assistant really is going to come from how we continue to learn how to use the data we have better to be more informed, more contextual, and provide them more proactive type of things that Kevin was talking about. So I really think, you know, the deep learning aspects of this, the, the machine learning and um, bringing more of that data into the marrying it with the, the channels that you have from you know, how you interact with technology. I think that the focus is probably going to shift more towards the data side as an enabler um, as it relates to the experience. So would that be, for example, um, asking your intelligent assistant for some kind of insight around some particular thing that you're thinking about um you know so i'll kind of you know i've I've asked you a question afterwards i might be quite intrigued by that question and in you know five years from now would i be asking you know an intelligent assistant for some you know well are there cultural differences are there regional differences what's the you know things like that is that what you're referring to brett I was actually getting more to the point of enabling the employee. Um, when you start to look at it again, we talked earlier, you know, the whole digital assistant piece and the power of it is, is is being across some of these different technology silos, but letting the data enable it. So when you start to look at like outcome-driven design and you're talking about the intent of what an employee does, simple example would be um, taking time off in a company. You might have to touch five or six different systems. Mm. And in that regard, 
you have to have all this institutional knowledge. But if you orchestrate that based on the intent of an employee that I just want to go to the beach for a day and that's what I want to do, they don't need to know they have to go to Outlook and set a calendar and go to a time management system, put time in, know if I'm a contractor or not and which system to go to put that time into and then go to a project management system if you're using Trello or something else. Um, all of that complexity is really the base intent of I just want to take a day off. So just make it simple and orchestrate that in the background. Now on the data side of it, you know, my, the intent of that is more about, you know, as you learn and have the data and, and build patterns, and a simple example would just be, and on the expense side, if I continuously have approved an expense that's less than $50, you know, 100 times in a row, why do I want to make you actually do the effort to send you something and have to react to it? Why don't I approve that in your behalf and just let you know I did it? So it's, mm. it's, I think it's going to be more about learning how employees and, and, and workers do their job and the things that you can just do for them on their behalf and assist them with. Great. And um, Kevin, um, when you're looking into your crystal ball, having gone through this in a lot of detail in this um, excellent report that you've written, um, where do you see this in years to come? Uh, I think I think Brett's right on the right track. And I would add two different places that in talking to uh, the companies in the research report uh, seem to come out. One is in the area of taking those vast amounts of data. So if, if you imagine uh, the digital workplace group site and all of the great research that is on there for its members from adoption to to uh, uh, to teamwork to uh, different uh, uh, packages and those types of things being able to ask a digital assistant a question then and the, there being the intelligence there to be able to sift through that data find the relevant reports and be able to uh, deliver those up with a little bit of of context as well um, is is one area. So uh, more or less, and I think, Paul, this is what you're asking around that ability to be able to add the intuition to just bringing the data. Uh, and then the, the, third, the third area uh, would be just in the anticipation space. And this is much more, this is much more uh, tangible in that uh, as I'm, as it's less about with digital assistance, the ability to be able to just answer questions and things that I ask it, but that it's anticipating what my needs are looking forward, including even things that I don't verbalize or that aren't verbal. So for instance, uh, in the physical plant, I walk into a conference room and the lights come up, but also the temperature goes to a preset temperature that it knows that I like. Uh, if I have a presentation I'm making, the presentation automatically loads to the projector that's in the room, um, and uh, and the voice says, "Hello, Kevin, are you ready to start your meeting?" And then automatically brings up uh, the uh, the the teleconferencing uh, software that's in there. Uh, so those the the space that Brett talked about, plus that. Those two spaces there, those are the three, I think, that, that uh, are the drivers for the future. Yeah, and that, that sort of reminds me of one of my little tests that I do when I um, go, go into different organizations and you've got a meeting there. And um, um, I, I sort of calculate how long does it take between the actual time you're supposed to start the meeting and the actual meeting starting while people set up different technology, get plugged in, find out what's going on, check that the lines are working. Uh, I think the average is usually about eight minutes. Um, um, and, and that obviously happening across the organization. Um, but I think that, that the kind of calm, supportive world you describe, Kevin, 
um, is is eagerly awaited. So is there anything that either of you would just like to add before we, we come to a close? I think one technology that does interest me, Paul, that going forward as far as the future, and it, I think it comes to a lot of what you were saying and what Kevin was saying, sort of that marrying of the physical workplace with the digital workplace is going to be the you know, how, how augmented reality evolves. Um, I'm real, so I'm really, really keen to see some of the opportunities that come out of that that's going to allow you to bring some of that together in a very different way. And we're already seeing that at some companies where they're using augmented reality for certain training aspects. Um, but when you start to look at the possibilities that has, um, both to enable you know core work capabilities but also to bring that physical environment together with the with the digital mm. And, and, and just thinking about that, you know, it's like in I, I, I'm always sort of thinking about, well, when organizations learn from the kind of crisis that we've gone through and and want to be, if you like, better prepared. And I think also it will substantially change the way people work sort of um, in perpetuity would be how could we make that remote working experience uh, richer and I think you know your things about augmented reality and a kind of richer experience of the physicality of work um, you know that would have that would be great right now um, Kevin anything you'd like to add yeah I, I want to make sure that I thank Brett for all of the all of the information and the and the insights that he gained for this for the for the digital assistant report uh, I think from my perspective my head right now is in uh, when we are recording with the with the uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, event that's happening right now. And I'm imagining myself going back and listening five years from now and imagining how uh, digital assistants uh, are going to be viewed at that point and what the role of an event like this is that drives us all out of the office and, and forces us to utilize the tools in front of us, help to uh, give a, an extra jolt of energy uh, to the work that's being done in this area. Great, and that's a, um, a great point to to end on. And um, well, Brett, thank you so much for your time and for your input. And Kevin, it's been delightful to talk to you. And um, thank you for joining. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore podcast. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.